You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're going to be continuing our series in James uh, chapter 1, so you've got to be turning to that. And uh, just uh, while you're doing that, it's great to be among you. And for those who don't know, I'm Morris, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, but um, 70 to 80% of my time is committed to uh, serving our wider network, relational mission. So I'm released from the church here to give quite a lot of my time serving our growing, multiplying uh, network of churches and um, really basically to export what God is doing among us here. Okay? So we're so grateful to what God is doing among us here. And we need to see that exported and multiplied and uh, rolling out across our nation, across the mainland of Europe and nations beyond. Um, so yeah, so just so you know what I'm up to, that I'm not just sort of skiving off or backsliding or anything. I do happen to be quite busy uh, working away. Uh, I'm putting quite a lot of energy at the moment into uh, handing over a lot of my UK responsibilities. I'm primarily responsible for our church planting program and for training emerging leaders. Uh, among other things, and I have been responsible also for sort of helping churches connect in the UK. I'm handing that all over so I can get more and more involved in church planting on the mainland of Europe. And so I've got a number of activities. A lot of my time at the beginning of this year has been setting up things for the rest of the year. We've got, um, even just next weekend, we've got a uh, first phase pioneering training weekend for uh, our leaders who are actually really in the field in the first phase of church planting. Uh, training and equipping them for that. We've got a couple of uh, uh, pioneering prayer events and equipping events for uh, Scandinavia and the Baltics and also for Western Europe. And we've got our church planting conference, which uh, this year is taking place in Malaga in Spain. So uh, even if you're not interested in uh, church planting, that would be quite a good gig if you can get along to it and enjoy the sunshine and learn some things about pioneering as well. And uh, I've also been asked to write a book about church planting, so that's taking a bit of time at the moment, how not to do it and all that sort of stuff. And I was up in uh, Norfolk, uh, I've been up in Norfolk, so those of you know a bit of my story, I was in Norfolk for quite a number of years, is where I met Tom and Len, among others, and uh, the... uh, uh, we, we had a mission there. We wanted to plant 10 churches. We had two. We said, right, God, we want 10 churches in, uh, in Norfolk, which is quite, quite tough soil for uh, church planting. But um, uh, I went to meet with the 10 church leaders of uh, our churches that we planted in, in Norfolk and just saying, right, is there more for us, you know, together working to re-evangelize this part of the world? Is there more for us to do together? And uh, uh, we really felt stirred that God was giving us fresh challenges and fresh things to reach for. So it's just a little bit of uh, sort of the stuff that I, I get up to. And uh, as I say, uh, this next year and beyond, really uh, looking primarily to focus on the mainland of England, where the sort of church life that we enjoy here is remarkably absent on the mainland of Europe, just to enjoy the diligent preaching of the Word of God, to enjoy the presence of God by His Spirit, to learn what it means to live uh, by the Spirit, to enjoy the family of God, not some sort of institution or hierarchy, and to enjoy being on a multiplying mission to say we're going to make a difference. Churches that are sort of firing on those four cylinders, they're not so prevalent. It's the least evangelized continent, Europe. And so uh, I'm going to be spending more and more time, hopefully, equipping and training leaders to plant churches in Germany, the Netherlands, Poland, Latvia, Sweden, beyond, 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 beyond. So uh, please continue to pray for us in that. 
But as for now, we're going to look at um, James chapter 1. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, please uh, have a look now, or I trust it will appear over my shoulder on the screens. I'm going to read through. We're working through this series in James on, you know, this being a faith that really is alive. It's a living faith. It matters. We don't just join a club. You sign the form. I'm in the club, and you just carry on. They say, no, actually, I'm here because I have committed to follow Jesus. Uh, some of you may have heard the Queen in her speech. Uh, I've loved how over the, 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 the later years she's got more and more direct about her faith. And she made this comment, and it made me cheer, when she said in her speech at Christmas, she said, I follow Jesus. Because the term Christian can be a little bit sort of wiped away by people. You know, we're a Christian nation, da 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 da, da. And our queen said, I follow Jesus. And I thought, well done, Liz. <laughs> I follow Jesus as well. Yeah? And so if our faith is real, and if our faith is alive, James is saying, then we're following Jesus, so we're going to be moving and we're going to be changing. Okay? Because uh, if you're not changing and you're not moving, and you're just the same as you ever were, then your faith is dead. James actually goes as far as to say it's actually dead. So it's just quite an extreme thing to say. Or, or another way of saying it is that maybe you've never met Jesus in the first place. Because if you've met Jesus and you've really given your heart to him and you're following him, you are going to change. <laughs> Trust me. He will go through you like a dose of salts. He's going to change you. And that's really what we're looking at here. We're saying, right, well, God, we want to change. We want a living faith. We don't want a dead faith. It's quite, you know, sort of silly tradition at the end of the year to uh, look forward and think, what resolutions can I make for the year uh, ahead? How can I change? How can I improve? What can I do better? But what I tend to do at the turn of a year is to look back and say, how have I changed? Because if, if my faith is a living faith, I should be growing. Am I more like Jesus? If you ask my wife and children, please uh, be kind to me. If you were asked to ask my wife and children, would they say, yeah, you know, Morris is more like Jesus. He's more patient, more loving, more kind. Yeah, I'm going to whisk Rachel away at the end of the service so you won't have a chance to ask her that question. <laughs> but this is the thing. The people that know you most, the people that know you best, will they say, are you growing? Are you changing? Is your faith alive? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you following him? Yeah, that's really what James is talking about in these verses. Let's just read these together. So verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, be slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religious religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained 
from the world. So let's look at these. Let's unpack these a little bit more. There's a great metaphor in the middle of this passage where Paul talks about looking at ourselves in a mirror. And I want to hang this message on that metaphor. Okay? Today, I want you to look in the mirror. So I was quite blessed when we had the uh, prophetic word about the, the lion looking in the river, looking at a reflection of himself. Okay? I want you to look in... Those things give you encouragement that you're on track, don't they? You know, when, okay? We've all got the same spirit to drink. Look in the mirror. How are you doing? How are you moving forward? How are you progressing? And Paul gives us two sort of extremes. If you separate these verses out that we just read, he gives an extreme. He gives a description of what we're like just at that point when we first meet Jesus, at the point of salvation, when we meet him for the first time, face to face. We give our heart to him. We say, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm following you. And then he fast forwards to the moment when you're going to face him face to face at judgment when your life will be judged. <laughs> what do you see in the mirror at this point? Where, what's our, what are we aiming for? What's our aspiration? Where are we heading? And he contrasts these two, and you can separate these verses out. So he talks about where we start. He talks about human anger. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. But uh, do something about it. He's saying, you know, anyway, if you just look at the world and don't do anything, it's just like a man who forgets what he looks like in the mirror. Those who consider themselves religious and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, their religion is worthless. You say, really, this is where we start when you meet Jesus. This is where we start. And this is where we're heading. This is what we're aspiring to. This is what James describes we're aiming for. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, they will be blessed in doing it. A religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this. Look after orphans, widows in their distress. Take care of others and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. So we start... Here, look in the mirror, we're a bit grubby, all right? Because we just come out of a filthy world and we're covered in filth. And then we look over here, we look in the mirror, we want to look more like Jesus, okay? So day by day, you want to be looking more like Jesus. That's the journey you're on. Amen? You got that? You're with me so far? So I want us to look in the mirror today. I want you to look in the mirror. What do you see in your own life? What's reflected in your own life? If this is the starting point and this is the finishing point and it describes the journey, where are you on that journey? Okay, if we have a living faith, we expect to see things growing and changing. How are you growing and changing? How are you becoming more like Jesus? And I just want to, before we start to unpack this, I want to particularly apply that in terms of how clean do you feel? How clean do you believe you are? As you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see something grubby coming back in the reflection? Do you see lots of soap and water? <laughs> How clean? I want to talk to some people today in your heart about what it means to be clean. Well, let's just uh, unpack this a little bit. I've, I've mentioned this several times when I preached about just looking at uh, our nature, understanding our nature. We're essentially we're spiritual beings. 
We're spiritual beings, but also we have our, our will. We make choices. We have our emotions. We feel things. Those things can govern how we behave at times. We have our intellect. These are the things that we think about, our thought life. And we have our bodies. And what I want to do, I want to sort of go through the layers of the onion, as Trevor would say, and see well, how does this scripture apply to those different layers. Okay, so let's start with our spirit. Uh, in John 3, Jesus has an amusing conversation with one of the most learned religious people of his day, Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus makes a slightly embarrassing comment that we'll all tease him about when we get to heaven. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus goes on in verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we're talking about what happens to our spirit. And what the Bible is telling us here is that our spirit is born again. We were dead in our transgressions. and We are born again. And when we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, our spirit is immediately and totally redeemed. It's bought back by the Father. So I'm having you. I'm having you. I'm taking you back. I'm buying you back. And now you belong to me. And you're immediately his possession. And he says, I will give you the right to be called children of God. You can't earn a birthright. I didn't decide when and where I was naturally born. Yeah? Or to whom. Or in what circumstances. It's not a choice we have. It's given to us. Your spiritual birthright is given to you as a free gift by God. You do not earn this. It is conditional not on your obedience. Hallelujah. It's conditional on the obedience of Christ. You're saved because of his obedience, not because of your obedience. What you have to do is believe that's true. And you will be saved. Okay? Paul unpacks this in Hebrews. I find it quite an interesting discussion. He says in Hebrews, he says, look, you know, God made the first covenant between God and man. And then after a while, he sat there and he thought, you know, I'm finding fault with this covenant. This covenant is faulty. That's the exact word it uses in Hebrews 8. So it's a faulty covenant. I was like, hang on, God, it was your covenant. This is your perfect law. How can your covenant that you established with man be faulty? Okay, and so he says this. This is the fault I have found. The fault is, it's you and me, folks. It's you and me. We're the fault. Read it. Hebrews 8. Homework, not now. Okay, he says, no, the fault is us. We cannot keep the covenant. I've made a covenant. I've tried to treat you like adults. I've said, all right, okay, if you do this, I'll do this. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Keep the law. You'll be righteous, etc. You can't do it. You're rubbish. <laughs> In a loving way. <laughs> he says, all right, I'll, I'll come up with a new covenant. I've got a better covenant, and I'm going to eliminate the fault. All right? 
So whereas the first covenant was a covenant between man and God, the second covenant is a covenant that entirely depends only upon God. It doesn't depend on us at all. And it entirely depends only on the obedience of one person through whom God will receive all of us. And that person is Jesus Christ. So our salvation is not dependent on our obedience. Our salvation is dependent only on the sufficient obedience of Jesus Christ. And his obedience is flawless and perfect. So the covenant is eternally secure. And if these things are not causing your spirit to bubble up a little bit, then I don't know what I can say that can excite you, all right? Okay? You cannot earn this. It's not, it is given to you. It's a free con- gift as a consequence of the obedience of Christ. Okay? It is a gift by faith. My spirit is redeemed. My status is secure. I am a child of God. I am an heir of the promises by faith. This is what has happened to my spirit at this point when I met Jesus. Okay? So when I met Jesus... Bang, not to 100, my spirit is redeemed. Okay? And so when I arrive at this point over here, okay, I look at Jesus and I say, because of you, Jesus, I'm here. <laughs> all right? Because there's nothing to do with my obedience, it's all to do with your obedience. And it can't be taken away from me. Jesus, I love you. You've given me. It's just such brilliant, brilliant news. So the redemption of my spirit is entirely dependent on the covenant that says, believe in the one whose obedience is perfect. Because my personal obedience is at fault. Okay, there's a beautiful old hymn. I was digging about on this. I found this great old hymn. Come, you sinners, lost and hopeless. Jesus' blood can make you free. For he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Amen? Yeah, while Jesus was in the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. (laughs) Should we go home? (laughs) This is the good news. This is the good news. Yeah, when I put my faith in Jesus, the covenant was sealed The covenant of his obedience, his perfect obedience, has secured the redemption of my spirit. And so I go from 0 to 100, bang, and it doesn't change. Because it doesn't depend on my behavior. It depends on the the complete obedience of Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, then. What about our bodies? (laughs) What about our bodies? Okay, so my spirit, bang, redeemed, gone. I'm in. Because Jesus, I put my faith in him. What about my body? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, So we do not lose heart. (laughs) Although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The the new covenant has been inaugurated, but it has not yet been consummated. My inner man is renewed. My outer man is decaying. My body is wearing out and wasting away. Okay, so when I actually gave my life to Jesus, when I was 18 years old, I was lithe and fit. <laughs> Honest, okay, I had hair. And my body is decaying, it's wasting away. Right? You just have to get used to that. It's wasting away. That's why we have to pray for one another to get healed, 
to get us through so we can fulfill the purposes of God for our lives because God's got a purpose for Johnny's life. So right, Johnny, let's sort you out, mate, so you can get on and fulfill my kingdom purposes. Also, healing is a sign for salvation. It's to say, right, okay, if God can do that, he can save you. He's got the power to do that. Yes, healing, asthma, doddle, easy. He can save your soul. He can save you. It's a sign for you. Anybody here who has not put your faith in Jesus, it's a sign for you. So God can save you. All right? But the reality is our bodies are wearing out. Paul says in Romans 8, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of, uh, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So our bodies are going to be redeemed, but they have not yet been redeemed. Okay? Some of you will be more excited about that than others. Personally, I'm very excited about that. Because as I go here, my body's decaying. And I get over here, and I see Jesus face to face. And he says, have a new body. Have a new body. Okay? Got that? So, spirit, bang. Trust in Jesus. Spirit saved. Wham. Body. All right, you'll have to wait for that one. (laughs) It's coming. It will come. What about the rest of us? What about our, we talked about our, our will. What about our emotions? What about our thought life? What about all that? Well, this is exactly what James is now talking about. So, right, now your salvation is entirely dependent upon the obedience of Christ. And you put your faith in him. Because he's the only one, he alone is able to save. He alone is able to rescue all right? Your body is a work in progress. <laughs> we'll come back to that. When you meet Jesus face to face, it's like a little seed. It will drop in the ground. Yeah? And you'll be given a new body. So your body will be redeemed. But what about the rest of this? What about your attitudes, your thoughts, your behavior, your choices? Well, what James is teaching us here is that these are your responsibility. Okay? It's your responsibility. What about these emotions and choices? What about the things that James is describing here. So he starts off, he's, you know, we're, we're angry, we have unrighteous behavior, there's filthiness, there's rampant wickedness, it's, we're self-deceiving, we hear but we don't do, we're disobedient, we're rebellious. And then we're aiming, what we're aspiring to, is that we've learned how to prevent ourselves from being corrupted and polluted by the world, that we've bridled our tongue, that we're quick to listen, that we're slow to speak, that we've nurtured a servant heart that is more concerned about the welfare of others less fortunate than ourselves than we are about our own welfare. This is sanctification. This is the process of sanctification. Salvation and the rewards of salvation depend on Jesus and his obedience. So your salvation depends on the obedience of Jesus and the reward is the crown of life. Is it referred to five times in the New Testament? It's the crown of life Jesus gives you is the reward for his obedience. You put your faith in his obedience. When it comes to sanctification, how, how we are learning and growing, that depends on your obedience. Okay? And similarly, there are consequences and rewards for that when we reach this point. There will be. And it's, you know, sometimes a bit, people feel a bit uncomfortable to talk about this, but the Bible does very clearly say that every man's work will be tested, does it not? Okay? So this is how we motivate. Some people, they want to try and skew the gospel and threaten you that you could lose your salvation, all right, if you don't obey. I don't think that is what Scripture is saying. What Scripture is saying 
is that you put your trust in Jesus. The evidence that you put your trust in Jesus is that you've got an appetite to change. If you have no appetite to change, have you ever trusted Jesus in the first place? Because my sheep hear my voice. And then there are consequences for how obedient we are in this life. And there will be reward and there will be loss when we meet Jesus face to face. That is what scripture teaches us. So it's important, James is saying it's important for us that we are attentive to this. I'll give you an example from Matthew 6, verse 14. This is fascinating to me. It's immediately after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You think, oh no, I'll, I'll lose my salvation. No, your heavenly Father. He's talking to his children. And we say, look, if you don't treat people in the way that I've treated you, you're going to suffer loss. You lose your peace and your reward of a rich life with Jesus in this life, and you're going to suffer loss in the life to come as well. These are the scriptures. We need to be attentive to these things. Okay, so if you are holding back on forgiveness, okay, look in the mirror. Consider yourself with sober judgment. If you're holding back on forgiveness and you're wondering why things aren't kicking on the way you'd like them to kick on in your life, I've just given you the verse that explains why. All right? Okay? So don't hold anybody in a box in your heart. Let people free. Forgive them. And you will know forgiveness. You'll experience it. You'll know peace and reward in this life. Okay? So I just want to encourage you. So our spirit, immediately redeemed through faith in Christ and his righteousness, our bodies wearing out, wasting away, will be replaced. What we think, say, and do, we're being conformed daily to the likeness of Christ. How are you doing? How are you doing? Have a look in the mirror. How's it going? Yeah? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you getting your thought life under control? Yeah, take every thought captive. Are you not allowing your emotions to override and rule in everything? Are you making good choices? Yeah? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Is it flatline? Is it in free fall? Jesus wants you to be clean, okay? How do we know what is clean and what is unclean? This is why James says you've got to get into this. You've got to, get, you've got to look intently into the word of God. You've got to look intently into the law of freedom. You've got to learn what that means. Okay? So you're thinking, oh, Morris, I want to change. I want to grow. I want to do these things. How do I do it? Well, James is saying, get into this. Yeah? Are you reading it extensively, intensively? Because, you know, this is not a rule book. Please don't think this is like an instruction manual. I get really irked when people say, this is the instruction manual for holy living. No, it's not. This is the way you get to know God. You get to know him. You, this isn't a book. This is a living word. It's alive. And you read it, and the words explode in your heart because the Spirit takes them and says, right, I'm going to make this pertinent and relevant to you. And you're going to learn what God is like, and you're going to learn to know God as you intently immerse yourself in what is true. The truest things that have ever been said about you are where? 
They're in here. Are you trying to navigate your way through lies? Are you trying to navigate your way through all sorts of false guilt that's been heaped on your life? Are you trying to navigate your way through all sorts of authority figures who've spoken words that have broken and crushed you? And you're thinking, how do I release myself from this? The truest things you will ever learn about yourself are written in here. They're written in here. And they've been preached by ranting, raving men here. And they've been given the opportunity for you to dig into them in your small groups and repeat the messages over and think, okay, let's get into this. If you want to learn and grow, you have to understand what God's like. And if you want to understand... Someone once said, you know, whether we like it or not, God chose to reveal himself in a book. <laughs> That's what he chose to do. Yeah, it's a living word. And in here you get to know Jesus by his spirit. And you will learn how to leave behind, put away. You know, Paul keeps talking about put away this sort of behavior. Put it away behind us. All right, but we have to learn what that is like. We're going to be facing this again and again in this church friends, because the world is going down the moral toilet, all right? And you have to understand, we've not come here to condemn the world. We've come here to care for people and save them from the world. It's not our our job to judge or to condemn. It's our job to witness to the saving power of Jesus. But we're going to have to handle people who are getting involved in increasing debts, of depraved sin. We're going to have to learn how to deal with that, not be judgmental, not be shocked, not separate, you know, but we say, right, no, we can help you with this, all right? Because the, the world is going down the moral toilet. I mean, I could go anywhere to, to illustrate this. Here's one I took from last week's BBC website, TV Review. It's a review about a television program. It says it's saying something when the series anti-hero can't decide whether he really wants to have sex with his mother or his sister. And it's worth reiterating, this is what the BBC website says, this is prime time BBC One. Taboo, the name of the programme, please don't watch it, is surely the boldest piece of scheduling for many years. Eh? Normalising sin. Yeah, this is really bold, isn't it? We're, just, we're exploring this taboo. Should you have sex with your mother or your sister? Yeah, people are going to be coming out of that cesspit. And we're, we're, we're not going to be judgmental people. This is not the place for judgement. This is a place of acceptance and care and a clean-up operation (laughs) and saying, look, Jesus can clean you. He can clean you up. Jesus can do that. He's done it in my life, the vilest sinner. He can do it in your life. I want you to meet Jesus so that you will know the cleansing of his salvation in your heart. And so whereas uh, under the old covenant, Isaiah was terrified of being in the throne room, he was quaking at the threshold of the throne room. Woe to me, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips and da-da-da. I'm dead man, he says, you know. And then the writer of the Hebrews says, hey, therefore, we approach confidently the throne of grace because we're sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. Now, that's available for you today, okay? But we also have to be attentive to ourselves to make ourselves clean. So those who have accepted Jesus and know our spirit is redeemed, we have a responsibility to be attentive to learning what it means day by day to become more like Jesus, to dig into the truth of God and apply it to our lives. And in order to listen, we have to do work on our emotions and on our thought life and on our will. So our attention, 
where is your attention? What are you giving your attention to? Where do your thoughts go? If we were to roll out your thoughts over the last month and, and with a highlighter pen, highlight them, you know, thoughts that are godly, uh, thoughts that are ungodly, uh, thoughts that really don't mean much at all, you know. Oh, West Ham going to win today. I don't know. I don't think it's godly or ungodly, <laughs> you know. Where your, where, where's your attention? What are you being attentive to? What are you giving your thoughts to? You know? Lads, when you're in a crowded room and you're thinking, she looks nice. She looks nice. She looks even better. She looks nice. <laughs> or are you thinking, God, I wonder how many of these people know your love. Yeah? Ladies, when you're in a crowded room, you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm worthless. You know, no one here takes any notice. They wouldn't notice me if I wasn't here. Or are you thinking, I'm a child of God. Yeah? This is my family. Where you? Take your thought life captive. You've got to be attentive if you want to dig into learning about the Word of God. Our emotions, our emotions can get in the way of good listening. Yeah? James says it, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, our emotions can obstruct us from getting to know God. There's a mature objectivity we're reaching for. If you're emotionally oversensitive, defensive, reactive, wanting to debate, wanting to argue all the time, then perhaps your emotions are getting in the way of you learning. Okay, So you need to get on top of your emotions. Don't let your emotions drive your life. Get on top of your emotions. Men, stop being angry with anyone for anything. Why is it? I've met so many angry men. You think, why are you angry? You know, oh, I'm angry about something. <laughs> You're angry. Well, stop it. Get, on, get in control of your emotions. Put... You're on top of your emotions, you know? Ladies, you're, you're more emotionally tuned. I'm not being sexist. This is a compliment, you know? Men, we're activators, doers. Go on, let's go. Women, you're there saying, should we think about this? You know, how's that going to make that person feel? Have you thought about that? You know, okay. <laughs> All right. But because, you know, you are that much more attenuated emotionally, you're that much more vulnerable emotionally. Don't let emotions drive your life. Don't let them. Let the word of God drive your life. Let the truth of God drive your life. Get on top of your emotions. Don't let your emotions get on top of us. And then our appetites, our choices can get in the way of learning about the truth of God. And I think this is for me. I've really found this helpful over the last year or two. When I'm, part of my job, together with uh, you know, others who are preaching here, is to try and make this real for you so that it's useful. And one of the things I found so helpful recently in trying to explain this is how important that appetites are in determining where we are in our relationship with God. You know? What have you got an appetite for? Have you got an appetite for truth? Have you got an appetite for worship? I'm so thrilled in our worship. When John said, Look, this isn't about what I get out of it, it's about what we're doing. We're exalting God. We're pushing back the enemy. Oh, I don't know if I've got anything out of it. I don't care. <laughs> I could care less. You're here to help me push back the enemy. Come on. Let's sing the praises of Jesus. Let's exalt him. Let an aroma go up from this place like a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of God. Let's push back the powers of darkness. Let's declare the truth. What's your appetite? I think your appetite will tell you as much as you need to know about your spiritual state. Yeah? Have I got a hunger for truth, 
a hunger for the word of God? Am I hungry to serve him? Am I hungry to shape my decision-making around what God has said and not just around what I would like? This will tell you where you're at in your Christian walk. And people that have an absence of appetite for the things of God, James, and I would agree with him, would start to question, did they ever give their heart to Jesus in the first place? Because if, no abs- if there's an absence of appetite, it's like a dead man, <laughs> I wonder if he was ever alive in the first place. So, I want to encourage you today to be honest with yourself and say, I want to clean up my life. My spirit is clean, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, dependent on his obedience. My body will get there one day. (laughs) I'll have a new one. But I'm responsible for my behavior. I'm responsible for my thoughts. I'm responsible for my emotions. And I'm responsible for my choices. And there will be consequences for that when I reach this stage and I see Jesus face to face. And I want to make sure, as I get closer and closer to that day, that I'm getting more and more like Jesus in the way I think, in the way I feel, and in the way I behave, and in the choices that I make. And it's my responsibility, and I'll be judged for that, and you'll be judged for that. And this is what the Word of God tells us. So on that very uh, encouraging and happy note, I want us to stand. We're going to invite the worship team to come. And I just want us to pray. And I want to invite, uh, just offer an opportunity for some people to receive some prayer with our ministry team, which will be down here on my right very, very soon, okay? Let's just pray together. If you want to just uh, hold your hands out, if you feel able to do that, let's just hold our hands out to Jesus. We just say, Jesus, you alone are able to save. And I thank you that because I have trusted you and put my faith in you, you have declared that I am righteous in the sight of God. And that you will redeem my spirit on that day. And it is entirely dependent on your obedience, not on my obedience. And Lord, I just want to tell you how grateful I am for that. That even the vilest sinner in this room, among myself included, that we can know that you have made us clean by your blood, Jesus. You've made a way for us that we couldn't do. We were useless. We were rubbish at keeping any covenant with God. And so God got around the problem by removing us from the equation, and say, okay, well, it doesn't depend on you anymore. It just depends on my son. You believe in my son, then you're in. Oh, God, we come boldly to you because of your son, Jesus. Thank you. You have cleaned us. You made us clean. And I just want to pray for anybody in the room here today. Maybe you've never met Jesus for the first time. Okay, I'm telling you, Jesus can make you clean. Okay, looking at your life, you're thinking, my life is a mess. My life is filthy. I've had filth from other people poured on my shoulders. I feel cut off. I'm telling you, turn to Jesus today. He will clean you up. He will cleanse you. He will save you. He will rescue you. He will deliver you. He can do that. And we're appealing to you. Turn your heart over to Jesus. He'll look after it. He'll look after it better than anybody else. He'll look after it better than anyone else you know. He'll look after it better than you can. Jesus will look after your heart and he'll take you home with him. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.